0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. Amen. It is good to pray that prayer. It's good to have that prayer prayed over us. It is good to start the day with that prayer. It's good to end the day with a prayer. Up until about the 1700s, uh, churches would sing the Psalms in their congregational time of singing. In fact, uh, as the early church was started, it was, mainly, uh, it was mainly Jewish people who became Christians and they knew the Psalms and they would sing it. When we read about those early Christians singing, they were, I'm almost 100% certain, singing the Psalms. When, Saul, when Paul was in prison... After he'd been tortured and him and Silas started singing, they were more than likely singing psalms. And those early churches, they developed a way to sing the psalms and it taught them how to pray. And it taught them worship. In fact, uh, this is kind of a, a side tangent but kind of funny because sometimes we go through worship wars in churches. Um, Up until uh, the late 1600s, the uh, main preachers and the head of denominations and the church leaders, they wouldn't allow any hymns to be sung in church service because they didn't have enough theology and they weren't the Word of God. They would only sing psalms together. And then the 1700s, uh, the hymn book was introduced and it became very popular. I just think that's funny. But whereas, you know, God speaks to us all the time. He speaks to us through creation. He speaks to us through the prophets. He speaks to us through the Word of God. And, you know, he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. The Psalms are a way for us to speak back to Him. They cover the whole spectrum of emotions. They cover every uh, situational aspect of life. There is songs, Psalms of sadness and desperation and need, and desire, and praise, and love, and joy. And the, when we learn how to pray these psalms, we learn how to talk to God. I encourage you to do it. Some churches, they uh, uh, some congregations, they read 12 psalms in the morning and 12 psalms at night. And they go through the entire book of psalms in a week. Some people I've heard will read five psalms a day. Psalms is divided into five different sections, like a hymn book. Um, and it has five different benedictions, and uh, if you read five psalms a day for 30 days, you read the entire book of psalms, and it trains you how to pray. We have been studying Psalm 23 as a training method on how to pray, how to learn how to pray, and we have uh, gotten through this meditation of the Lord is our shepherd, and uh, what it means to lack nothing, um, for him to give us exactly what we need in the moment we need it. We've, We've prayed through and meditated a little bit on what it means if he is with us and he set us on the right path and we don't have any evil to fear. And today we want to look at verse 5. Verse 5, this psalm, the psalm of the shepherd, is a prayer of our confidence in God. It's because we trust him. And there are two reasons in verse 5, two gigantic reasons that we can have confidence in God. And it kind of goes like this. So if you'd like to take notes while you're reading or you want something to meditate on when you pray this prayer to yourself, um, the two reasons that we find in verse 5 that we can have confidence in the Lord is His face and His fortune. His face and His fortune. His face to shine on us and His fortune that we get to inherit. First, His face. In that very first uh, line of Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, You prepare before me a table. And this uh, word in the Hebrew, if you don't mind me butchering the Hebrew language and talking a little bit about things I don't really know about, that word is pane, or pana, pena, panim. It has a bunch of different variations, and it means God is looking at us. We are in the presence of God. He prepares us a table, and He is looking at us at that table. He is with us. His eyes are on us, and He's glad we're there. We know this type of prayer. We've heard it before, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've been around the church. A lot of churches still use this prayer. It was given to Aaron and the priests. Uh, God told them in Numbers, He said, Give this blessing over the congregation of Israel. And then 1,000 years later, they were still saying this prayer over their congregations. And then 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, it made it into the churches. And the prayer goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That was a prayer that God gave to the priest to give over the people, blessing over the people. This is what it means for His face to shine on us. So when we pray that prayer, you prepare a table before me, we're asking for His face to shine on us. We are meditating on the fact that He is shining His face on us. It kind of has this um, idea of that if God is looking at us, He is looking favorably upon us, and He grants us His protection, His peace, His blessing, His guidance, His grace, And he's looking after us for our own good. If you went back to the day of David, and uh, I think David is writing this prayer, looking back over his life. All the times God had looked favorably upon him. If you go back to those days, and the king would throw a banquet, and he would invite a guest of honor to come sit beside him. This is the idea we have in our minds, as God prepares a table before me, and his face is shining on me. To sit at a guest, as a guest at a table of a host was to be assured of food and housing and fellowship and protection. And that's the prayer we're praying. God, shine your face on me. You prepare a table before me. In the New Testament, we sit at an even better table, the table of Christ. When we sit at the table of Christ and his face is shining on us, it means that we've been adopted into his family and he calls us brother or sister when he says i'm going to raise you up so that you may reign with me is because we are now in the family of god as kings and queens sitting at the table of christ we've been chosen predestined to adoption accepted redeemed declared holy and blameless all because of christ and that's the table we sit at Now, holy and blameless, a lot of times to us, sound like the same word because we think holy means righteous and sin-free and blameless means righteous and sin-free. But that's not what it means here. To sit at the table of Christ means we've been holy is a word that says we've been set apart for good works. We've set apart to have a responsibility in the kingdom. We've been set apart for a purpose as God's chosen people. And so we're holy, we're set apart, we have a reason that we are in his family. And blameless means he declares us not guilty. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sin. If your sin be like scarlet, he will make it white as snow. God is a gracious, forgiving God and he forgets your sin. You've been declared holy and blameless at the table of Christ. All the spiritual blessings have been given to me in Christ. And he's looking at me, and he's giving me everything I need to win the spiritual battles I face. Because remember, we're sitting at the table. He's prepared a table, a table before us. He's looking at us, but it's in the presence of our enemies. Who's our enemies? Paul tells us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's our enemies. And Jesus gives us everything we need at that table to fight those enemies. And we have a responsibility set apart to be holy. Set apart to fight those spiritual battles. Your enemy is not Democrats. Your enemy is not Republicans. Your enemy is not President Trump or President Obama or whatever president you want to put in there. Several months ago, maybe a year ago, someone stopped me at the door. I don't know if I've told this story or not. This person said, Did you hear what President Trump said? Don't you think that makes him the Antichrist? I know from Scripture, the Antichrist is anybody who rejects Jesus. And every president since George Washington has been called the Antichrist. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the presidents. It's against the evil spiritual forces of darkness. And Jesus has shined his face on us, set us apart to fight those battles through prayer and grace and forgiveness and justice and mercy, and love, and joy, kindness. And He has called us, set us apart for that responsibility, and He's prepared a table, shining His face on us, giving us everything we need to fight those battles. In Christ, we have been given access to every spiritual blessing. He lifts us up to reign with him, and it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God has already given us forgiveness, but he's also given us the power to reject Satan, to tell Satan to get away from us, and then that power that is within us, Satan will flee. He has given us a way out of temptation. He's given us victory in Christ. He's given us victory over sin, and He will even give us victory over death. It's already been established. We win because we have God shining His face on us. Can I get an amen? Yes. I don't ask for amens very often, but that is a moment. We've got to say amen. Let me go back. I'll read it again. Christ has already given us forgiveness, but he's also given us the power to reject Satan. If we reject Satan, he will flee from us. Christ gives us a way out of temptation, victory in Christ, victory over sin, and he will even give us victory over death. Amen. And that word there, that word there, Panim, he has prepared a table before me. And there's another word right back up against that that also means kind of the same thing in presence. But when they're back to back, when uh, his face is looking at me and then his face is looking at my enemies, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There are two words that mean kind of the same thing, panim and then neged. But when they're back to back, it means opposite. God has prepared a table before me, his face shines on me, and it shines against my enemies. Neged. You have prepared a table where your face shines on me, and you are looking at my enemies with a glaring look. Can you imagine being invited to the Lord's table and you sit next to him and you have the place of honor and your enemy comes in and God looks at you and he's like, oh man, I love this boy and I don't like you, okay? When we meditate on this prayer and we're reading it and we're praying it and we're memorizing it and we're thinking about how God's face is shining on us, you need to be thinking also how he is looking at us and he's giving us all we need all we need to succeed. He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, and the opposite way, he is thwarting the plans of our enemies. The traps that they lay for our feet, he's going to make them fall into. He has prepared a place for the works of Satan and his minions and everybody whose name is not written in the book of life, and it is hellfire forever. God is looking at us his face looking at us with love and adoration, and He is against our enemies. If God is for us, who can be against us? John, one of Jesus' best friends, he writes, uh, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. In Second Corinthians, Paul says, We take captive every thought for Christ, and we demolish the arguments the enemy brings against Him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, We have victory in Jesus In 2 Thessalonians, he says the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. In John 16, Jesus is recorded, in this world you will have trouble. You can replace that word with enemies. In this world you will have enemies. And they're not the physical blood and flesh enemies that you think. It's spiritual enemies and you will be attacked by Satan. In this world you will have trouble. On a side note, Karen Anderson, who gave her testimony last week, I won't go in the whole story, but I, I texted her later in the week. I said, thank you, we're praying for you. She had another, uh, another discussion she was going to have to have. And she said that discussion went fine, but she feels like she's been under spiritual attack ever since she spoke here at our church. And she's tempted to stop telling her story because the attacks have become so great. And Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I am against your enemy, and I am for you. This is how we meditate and we pray. And when we pray about God's face shining on us, we get confidence that we can go and do anything in the name of the Lord. Any call that He has given to us, He will empower us to do His work. And He's called us to forgive, and He's called us to give, and He's called us to be generous. He's called us to be honest. He's called us to hold each other accountable. He's called us to have those tough conversations And he will empower us to do it. And he will give us victory over sin and temptation and even over the evil one. John also writes, the reasons the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. 1 John 3, 8. His face is a reason why we get to have confidence. It is for us and against our enemies. But another reason we get to have confidence is because of his fortune. We have been promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he blesses me. This is where that cup overflows comes from. And if you want the Hebrew word for it, it kind of sounds like revayah. Everybody say that together because it's kind of fun. Revaya. Let's say it together with my cup overflows. But instead of saying my cup overflows, let's say my cup Revaya. My cup, yeah, my cup overflows. We have this abundance of grace, we have more than enough. Ephesians says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, we can't measure it, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I can imagine a lot, and he gives us more than that. He gives us grace. And our cup overflows with grace. I did this spiritual exercise uh, not too long ago from uh, a preacher. He was walking me through being prayerful and allowing the Holy Spirit to take captive every thought of mine. And uh, he gave this exercise for me to do, and we did part of it on Christmas Eve, where I read the promises we have in Jesus Christ, and I asked the Holy Spirit to highlight one of those promises in your mind. I don't know if you were here for that, but uh, a lot of people had a word that one of the promises really brought up an emotion within them. And to conclude that exercise, the preacher said, let's allow the Holy Spirit to also capture your imagination." He said, pray about that word. Meditate on the the promise you have in Jesus Christ. Capture your thoughts for Christ. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to say through His word. And the word that, the promise that really brought up an emotion in me was called abundant grace. We have abundant grace in Christ. John chapter 1 says we have grace upon grace. In Romans chapter 5 it says, when we sin, grace increases. Abundant grace was the word that I feel like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to meditate on the promise we have in Jesus. And the exercise goes like this. Sit really still and really quiet, and you think about the promise that you have in Jesus. That's what meditation is. Christian meditation is putting, filling our thoughts full of the Word of God and asking the Holy Spirit to come and capture those thoughts for Him. Well, we can also capture our imagination. And the exercise was this. Allow the Holy Spirit to capture your imagination and give you a picture of you receiving or being in the promise of Christ. And so I did it. It felt kind of weird to me. I sat quietly, had my eyes closed, was breathing in through my nose, out through my mouth. I was thinking about this promise God gave me, abundant grace. And I did have a picture come to my mind. I was reminded of a movie I had seen one time and I saw this picture of this movie scene and it described abundant grace very well and I thought, it just didn't feel right. This was somebody else's imagination. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit reminded me of that imagination but it wasn't my imagination and it just didn't feel, it wasn't, I set it to the side. It explained abundant grace but I, I wanted the Holy Spirit to give me an imagination to describe abundant grace. And I waited maybe another minute, and I had another picture come to my mind of a book I had read. And again, I thought, that's somebody else's imagination. And I waited. And I prayed, Holy Spirit, come. Take captive my thoughts. I am in abundant grace. And this is the strangest thing. It was like a lightning bolt in my mind. A split-second imagination. And it really felt like it came from within me so it could have been Holy Spirit imagination or it could have just been my conscience developing a, an ability to explain abundant grace. But here's how the picture went. I had a cup and I could go to Jesus to fill it up with grace. And Jesus was kind of standing above one of those big orange coolers and he had a big orange cooler of grace. And I went up to that and I would like fill my cup and I'd take a drink and I'd think, oh, this must be the picture Jesus wants me to see about I have a, m- as much grace as I need. And I looked up, and I saw Jesus looking at me. And he was looking at me like sometimes I look at my son. Son, I love you, but you are dumb. That's how, that's how Jesus was looking at me in my imagination. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out, well, what do you, else do you want me to know? I'm getting grace. You've given me grace. You said I could have as much as I want. And, I could, and this all happens in a split second. You know, imagination happens real fast. It takes me a lot longer to tell it than to actually have it visualized. And I would drink the grace, and I'd go back for more. And Jesus was like, yeah, you can come, keep getting grace, that's fine, but you're doing it wrong. I could just see that in his face. I just knew it wasn't what he wanted me to have for abundant grace. And I couldn't figure out. I'd go back, and I'd fill up my cup, and as soon as I'd fill it up, I'd use it because I'm, I'm a sinner in the need of grace. But I knew I could go back and get more. And I just kept filling it up and drinking and consuming and filling it up and drinking it up. And he kept saying, yeah, I love you. And yes, you can have as much grace as you want, but you are missing it. And I couldn't figure out what he wanted me to see. And I turned around from the cooler and there was this ocean of grace he wanted me to dive in. He didn't want me to get a little cup. He wanted me to be totally immersed in grace. He wanted me to be covered head to toe in grace. He wanted me to be filled with grace and overflowing with grace. And under grace... And then I realized I was doing it wrong, just getting a little bit at a time. He has given me every spiritual blessing in Christ so much so that it overflows my cup. He's given you so much grace that you can use and go offer forgiveness and grace to somebody else. He's given you so much grace that it overflows your cup. It splashes on the people around you. When you meditate on Psalm 23, verse 5, and His face is shining on you, he is not just filling your cup. He is covering you with grace because He wants you to go share it with somebody else. He wants you to give that same healing and forgiveness and love to somebody else that He gave you. And He's given you enough that you can share it with anybody. And you'll never run out. And even if you get just a small amount, like I was doing, he, he says, keep coming back, I'll give you more. But He wants you covered in it. My cup overflows. Rave, yah we can have confidence that God is going to provide for us that his face is going to shine on us and that his fortune of spiritual blessings is going to be covering us like a whole ocean of grace his face and his fortune there's one other thought i want i want to give from this verse 5 before we uh, move into our time of communion guys don't get up yet for communion i'll, I'll tell you in just a second my cup over my he anoints my head with oil We know the word for anoint. You may not know you know the Hebrew word for anoint, but the Hebrew word for anoint is mashach. I I, I apologize again for any Hebrew speakers in here that I'm ruining your language. We know this word because it's the same word we use for Messiah, anointed one. And we've heard of the Messiah, Messiah Christ. He's the anointed of God. And so they would use this word uh, mashach, anoint, uh, to talk about how oil was poured on someone's head and it would be used to set somebody apart and they pour oil on their head. I'm anointing them, they're going to be the new king. Or it would use used to, maybe you had a wound and they'd pour oil that would be like medicine on your wound. Or maybe you were out in the desert, you were herding sheep and you don't have time to take a shower, so you put some uh, smell-good oil on your hair, you anoint your head with oil, and then you smell okay and you can be around people. We know this word anoint, mashach. It is used uh, 30 or 40 times to anoint. It is used uh, 30 or 40 times, anointed, mashach, Messiah, the anointed one, the one set apart for king, and that is not the word used in Psalm 23, verse 5. There's a different word used there, different word. It's only used 11 times in the Old Testament, and seven times out of those 11, it, it, here's what the word means. And I know why they translated it this way. Because what else do you do when you have somebody's head and you've got oil? You anoint their head with oil. But it's the shame, my head with oil. And the shame, majority of the time in the use in the Old Testament, means to make fat. You make my head fat. <laughs> when I think of people with fat heads, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody who's really confident they think their team is never going to lose. They think they're the best. They think they're the, you know, everybody has to bow in their presence because they're greater than everybody else. You know, when I think of the, when I think of that, I think of Ohio State fans. Amen. You ever met? Have you ever met an obnoxious, fat-headed Ohio State fan? <laughs> now I would say that Ohio State fans are the most obnoxious fat-headed fans in all the land, but I am a U.K. fan, and and I have met some fat-headed U.K. fans. Now, here's what we know what fat-head means. We know what a fat-head is. Somebody whose ego is so big, their head can't fit through the door. Okay, the reason why Ohio State fans have fat-heads is because they trust their team is going to win. God says, my face shines on you. And I'm against your enemies. I'm going to give you so much grace that it will overwhelm you like a tidal wave of gentleness. So much so that it will overflow and splash on the other people. So much so that I'm making you fathead Christian. Where you have so much confidence in your God that nothing can touch you. So much confidence in your God that He is the winner, that you have victory in Jesus, and someday you have victory over even death. So much confidence that anything He calls you to do, you know He will empower you to do. And so if you need to offer forgiveness, or if you need to offer grace, or if you need to say a word of truth in a scary situation where you know the truth is not going to be, want to be heard, you will do it because you are so confident in the grace and blessing God gives you. You know what reminds us of that confidence? Communion. Now, guys, we can go get the communion trays. When we participate in communion, we are taking that bread, a very tangible, something we can see, feel, touch, taste, smell, and we chew on that bread, and we remember that Jesus Christ died for us. Because we sinned, He died, and He had to to pay our price with His blood. But because he loves us, he died so that we could be made family of his. And as we eat that bread, we're reminded of his sacrifice to make us whole. And we get confidence in the Lord. And as we drink that cup, we're reminded of the blood that was shed that covers over all of our sin and makes our sins scarlet, white as snow. And we have confidence in the Lord. And when we eat that bread and we drink that cup, we, rem- we declare his death until he comes again to pick us up and take us to heaven and be with him. And we have confidence in the Lord. Communion is this beautiful, beautiful meal that reminds us of the confidence we have. The same confidence that Psalm 23 gives us when we pray it, when we meditate on it, when we're changed by the scripture. As you participate in the body and blood today, would you remind yourself that he is, Wins. He has made you whole. He's declared you not guilty and he will come back to get you someday. You are on the winning side. Confidence in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us these great picture images in your word, in your scripture that helps us trust you. And I thank you for the Picture images you give us now in communion that remind us of the trust we have in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.